welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week we have a Pythagorean win Wednesday. Thank Hell you. yeah, we do. Thank you, David, at DC for that. We'll explain what that is in a second because, as Mark Saltvite would say, it is the elegant tank and it is underway. Chris Forrester is indeed a line coach in every sense of the term. And, oh, by the way, it's Steve Young's birthday. Uh, I've got his jersey on my wall. He is my favorite 49ers quarterback, and he is uh, turning some age that is not football-related uh, because it's going to be over, like, 35. A year older now. Yeah. Uh, so this week we've got a lot to cover. We're going to cover, of course, the game with the things that we think, talk a little bit about what this elegant tank is all about, get to the spotlight play of the week, hit you with some rundown quick stats, and then get to the game preview against Washington. But first, let's talk a little bit about what this Pythagorean win Wednesday is because typically it's either a win Wednesday or a womp womp Wednesday. That's historically been the Wednesday that has come at you from the Better Rivals podcast. But today we have a brand new (laughs) Wednesday that we are unveiling and it is the Pythagorean win Wednesday, the elegant tank. David, what the hell is a Pythagorean win Wednesday? (laughs) Uh, so these are going to be for losses that are by less than one score, essentially. Because so one of the things that we look at, um, you know, every offseason, if you've been like a long time listener, you know that we like to uh, look at some different statistical measures and and use that to kind of help us get a better idea of, you know, what to expect for the 49ers in the coming season. And one of those things that uh, historically is a pretty good indicator is looking at the difference between your actual win total and what's referred to as your Pythagorean win total, which is, is more of a measure of your point differential. And that's where the, the close win thing, close loss thing comes into play because those results tend not to be sustainable and it's something that we bring up a lot. And so now we have four of those in a row, essentially. Four straight losses and by that, less than a score. It makes sense, right? It makes sense that obviously you want to score more points than you give up. That's how you win games, generally speaking. And so... What the Pythagorean win kind of expectation rewards is blowout wins. Uh, and it says, oh, you know, it depends on the, if your score is really close to win by a point or two, that that may not be something that's going to reflect in a, in a true record. And of course, the Niners have lost four games by a total of just 11 points. The only other team to lose four consecutive games by three points or less, the 1994 Houston Oilers, led by none other than the mustache himself, Jeff Fisher. And any time that you are lumped in a category with Jeff Fisher, it's not a category you want to be in. That's not great. Uh, I mean, I think a good example, too, of, of kind of the opposite end of it, right? And why, like, point differential uh, is, is, like, an important thing to look at is, I thought it was hilarious. So the, the 49ers have the seventh worst point differential, which for an 0-5 team is, like, not that bad, right? Like, that's, uh, that, that's pretty reasonable for a team that's lost every single one of their games. Usually you would expect them to be dead last. The team that is actually dead last, however, is the team that we just played in the yeah. Indianapolis Colts. So they have, I mean, they're two and three, right? So record, if you are what your record says you are, then this is a, a very clear, like much better team. Um, however, they're, both of their wins have come by less than a score, by three points, and they got blown out twice. And so... It becomes this thing. It's like, you know, a lot of uh, it can be one or two plays at the end of a game or something like that, that that swings that outcome. And it's not really a great indication of the, the quality of that team. I guess Results in close games are not generally sustainable unless you're the Chargers, in which case they yeah. sustainably suck as <laughs> they have for three years. But this is why I love uh, Mark's kind of elegant tank moncure for the season, because this is what we wanted. We wanted more competition. We wanted to be invested in the game in the fourth quarter and not want to change it. Uh, in the third quarter, and that's what we're getting. And yet we're still losing. The elegant tank is on, man. I love it. The elegant tank. Pythagorean win Wednesday, coming at you. The most important thing about this season is that we're in position to get a quarterback next offseason. Correct. It's the only thing that matters. Correct. And uh, yeah, this has been perfect. It's It's been, I mean, like like losing sucks, and we, we've been, uh, you know, trying to uh, deal with and like cover the team as they've lost, you know, um, for for several seasons now. And it's like it gets old, like we don't want to continue to lose. But like this is kind of, I think, where they're at right now. They're they kind of hit rock bottom, I think. And now we're starting to get some competent players. And there are definitely things. I mean, there, there are things that we've been able to point to each week, right? That are like, hey, these are positive. DeForest Buckner is amazing. And uh, you know, you know, things that are, that are good, but it's like, yeah, getting that top draft pick is still uh, going to be like the best thing for them long term. We are. So what you're saying is we're in a post win 
49er universe. Like wins and losses don't matter. We're yeah, just I mean, gonna we're, we're, we're just gonna cover what's funny. We're not there yet, where where wins and losses really matter and yeah. are really gonna uh, you know uh, play a big role in how we view this team. So let's get to the actual game recap because this was a game that we said last week was a game that we should win. Uh, it was a game that we expected to win. It was a game that we did not win. Part of that falls firmly on the shoulders of the run offense. Run blocking takes eleven players, and the 49ers always seem to lack one. One blown block uh, for the 49ers can completely torpedo a run, and it seems to happen often for them. If you look at the first nine runs, and we did, we looked at all of the runs, but of the first nine runs, there was always one thing that prevented the 49ers from getting production out of that run play. The first run, our right guard Fusco doesn't get a backside reach block. Run number two, you've got holding on the wide receiver. Run number three, Trent Brown gets completely abused. I tweeted this earlier. He just face plants because he gets his head over his feet. Run four, Hyde gets a little antsy behind the hole and bounces, by and large, because they the, the Indianapolis Colts kind of did a double-A gap pressure. Run five, you got a fumbled mesh because offensive weapon doesn't know how to get a handoff. Run number six, Brown steps the wrong way, leaves a guy unblocked. Running back gets blown up. Run number seven, Staley gets blown up. Run number eight, the turf monster hits Brita. And he gets a, a modest gain, but those not. lines were painted way too thick on the that field. <laughs> and then run number nine, you get Trent Brown again. Gets he gets beat by Sheard. I mean, in every single play, you can point to just if this one thing goes right. If it, if that one thing goes right, then the Niners can get maybe three, four, five, or in some cases, huge gains out of it. But that's not the case. They're not at the point where all eleven players are executing in the run offense, and it's costing them. Definitely. And I, I think that's, uh, you know, a good reason why, you know, you it, it's tough to put a lot of stock into those yards before contact and yards after contact numbers when you're looking at them um, from quality of an offensive line perspective. And this is something that that we've done that I've kind of, um, you know, changed my mind on a little bit as I've you know learned more about the run game and, and, and learned more about run defense and and kind of how all those things play together. And it really can be a situation where if you have one bad guy or one guy that isn't uh, carrying out his assignment on that particular play, that's enough to tank the run if it happens to come in the right spot. And it, it's not necessarily, you could have all four other guys on that offensive line carry out their blocks and execute their assignment and and have good plays, and then your run still gets tackled in the backfield, right, because of that one block. So it we'll really is... We'll call it the, the Debbie Beatles rule. Yeah, I think I'm ready to just pretend that, like, the Debbie thing didn't even happen. That's you could, already gone from I, my mind. You can combine them just into the tuba rule. <laughs> Played a mean tuba, man. Yep. Don't discount that. Um, and and so I think, yeah, you, you have to kind of be a little bit careful with those. But I think the 49ers have been a great example this year is like the run game has been so close so often. And, and you know, you listed the plays in this game. You could make a similar list for basically every single game this season, right? Where you have like these handful plus of run plays that are so close, right. That are one block away from, uh, you know, getting out into the secondary and breaking through the second level and, and getting those kind of big breakaway runs. Uh, and they just can't seem to put it all together where they have everything come, you know, the blocks line up, the running back makes the right decision. You don't have mistakes on the outside with receivers getting holding penalties. Like it just hasn't come together very often on one run. And that's why you get the run offense that they've had so far this season. And when the 49ers need to rely on their run game in order to get some yards, when they're in three or fewer yards to make a first down on any downs, they don't do very well. Against the Colts, they only converted one of five opportunities with three or fewer yards to go. The only one they converted was a play action to Kittle on the game time drive in the fourth quarter, which was, I mean, that whole play was ridiculous. Like Brian Hoyer basically fadeaway passes to Kittle. And it, it was, it was, I like gasped. My butthole legit, legit puckered. Like it just, and it, it was, it was worrisome. It really was. Uh, and, and really when you think about what that means though, okay, that's on any down, but on high value downs, right. That they also do really, really bad. If you look at just any down, if they've got to get one to three yards, they only convert about 36% of the time. This is over the course of the season. That's, that puts them 31st in the league. So this game in the Colts was kind of continuation of the same. The league average is 58 and a half percent. So they're well under league average at convert at getting a first down when they only have one to three yards to go. But when you drill into third and fourth down specifically, when they only have two or fewer yards to go, it's third and two, it's fourth and two. They're 25th in the league in picking up that first down. They only get it 47% of the time. 
the league average is 64.8. And if you look at runs specifically, so football outsiders will will measure that on running plays, um, you know, for what they call power success. And it's that, that same kind of split where it's third, fourth and two or less or um, any down, I believe, in, in uh, goal to go from the two. Goal to go, yeah. Yeah. Um, so in those situations on run plays alone, it's 33% of the time they convert, which is dead last. And, uh, that's well, it's like less than half league average. So league average in those situations is 68%. Um, and so I think that's kind of the big area. I mean, yeah, I have, uh, definitely obviously the passing game has, has their own problems. And, you know, mentioned like the Hoyer play there as an example, but I think that's really been the areas they just haven't been able to get it done in the run game in those short yardage situations. And that's the thing that really kind of sticks out. Yeah. When they've got just one to three yards to go, they generally don't get it done. And especially if they're trying to rely on the run game, they're not getting that done either. And those situations presented themselves several times against the Colts. And it was the Colts who seemed to convert those opportunities when they were getting into third downs and some, I don't think they had a fourth down actually, but when they were getting into short yardage situations or third down situations, they were converting. And and in many ways, that was the difference in their ability to extend drives and the 49ers inability to extend drives, especially as they got closer to the red zone, because of course our mantra this year is field goals, not touchdowns. It's been a a, a mantra that's been going on for way too long. um, Yeah. Cause even under Harbaugh, we had a couple of field goal issues where our our red zone thing that like people have, uh, you know, it was like, I, th- I feel like considering the rest of the team and like kind of the situation that they were in, it was less of a concern during the hardball years. Yeah. Right. But it was a thing that people are like, Oh my God, we kicked too many field goals in the red zone. And they, I mean, they did, they kicked a lot of field goals in the red zone, but it's just like, it's funny through now the fourth coaching staff, since we've been doing this, like it's, they continue. I mean, Last year was maybe like the one exception where they were pretty good in the red zone. But it's last just year, like the Niners had a uh, top five red zone offense based on DVOA, which yeah. is baffling um, and also kind of interesting, I think. But so overall, I think the Niners just they did not have all 11 players in the run game successfully working together as a unit. And that meant that they were not able to convert short yard situations as they have not been able to all year long. Now, the other thing that we think has to do with one Mr. Jabal Sheard, uh, because he completely destroyed basically anyone that he went against as long as they were wearing a 49ers uniform. His overall grade from Pro Football Focus's charting was 81.3. That's very, very good. He had two sacks, and he beat up on Joe Staley a couple of times, both in the run game and in the pass game. Although one sack, and I tweeted this out uh, when I was rewatching the game um, on Saturday, I'm sorry, on Monday, um, I tweeted out this just... Joe Staley tries to run him off the play, and Brian Hoyer just takes like a 90 million step drop back. Uh, and they're only rushing two players. Two players. Five on two. Five on two. And Brian Hoyer still gets sacked. Uh, and that was one Mr. Jabal Sheard. And he, he was doing it all over the field. And he, he played a really, really good game, much to the Niners' detriment. Definitely. And I think, uh, it, to me at least, I mean, you, you mentioned the sack and, and stuff like that, and that's, uh, it, it's hard to give him a ton of credit when you, you know, consider like the, the situation there with, with Hoyer just failing to step up to an empty pocket. It's not even a clean pocket. It's, it's an empty pocket when you're rushing two guys essentially. And, and so, uh, yeah, that was, uh, was a concern, but he was a, a big factor. I mean, we talked a lot about, right. The, the one block that couldn't get made in the run game on a lot of these plays. And he was the one block that couldn't get made a lot of the time. I mean, he, uh, played really, really well in the run game. Uh, he gave both tackles problems. I mean, it was just a situation where, so a, a lot of the time on the zone runs, um, that, that the 49ers are doing. And, and they've been doing a little bit more inside zone than I think that we probably expected. It's been a more even split between inside and outside zone. And so what ends up happening, the, the difference, if you remember back to kind of scheme month and, and what we're looking at outside zone wise is usually on a lot of those plays, the tackle, right, is trying to kind of hook that edge defender. He's trying to pin him inside so that they can get the ball outside. Um, with inside zone, because you're looking to kind of hit that play in in more of the A or B gap, depending on kind of what formation you're coming from, uh, as opposed to going way on the outside, your tackles then look to more kind of kick that player out and run that edge player to the sideline as opposed to pinning him inside, of course, where you're you're trying to run the ball. And so on those type of situations, you would see Shear just be able to uh, kind of go to this quick swim move and jump inside, and then all of a sudden he's in the backfield uh, with nobody there to account for him, right? Because everybody else is obviously occupied with their blocks. And and that was just a problem time and time again, where he would kind of make that swim move inside uh, and, and prevent 
you know, the, the tackle from being able to kick him out. And it was, it was Staley. A lot of times it was Brown sometimes as well. Um, you know, again, both tackles had issues with them. So he was just, yeah, somebody that I think, um, you know, played really well. The interior had problems as well, but I think there was nobody defensively that really stood out as, as much of a consistent problem as Shear did throughout this game. Now, this was a game for, or this is a season for Trent Taylor that was kind of his coming out party. Pro Football Focus has a really, really positive grade on him, and he has not, he's done very, very well in pass blocking. And much to kind of our surprise, he, he's done really well in run blocking. This was the first game where he's really kind of fallen into old habits in the run blocking game. And there was one play specifically where he just didn't even go the right way. He, he yeah. completely thought the play was going the, the other way. And it's one where Sheard got, you know, a, a tackle for a loss on Carlos Hyde because he, he was going in unblocked, completely unblocked. Um, and it, it's it's that's one thing with zone too is is it's uh, very easy to see when one guy didn't get the message right because uh, the the thing with zone runs from your offensive line is everybody no matter what is stepping play side sometimes depending on the block they're making it may be a very tiny step play side but it is a step and and they're moving that direction and so when you see everybody flowing one direction and then all of a sudden one guy's smashing into one of his uh, one of his buddies next to him. Going the other way, it's like, okay, somebody didn't get the memo and thought that we were going the opposite direction here. And then on top of that, the person that they were supposed to step towards completely runs free into the backfield and tackles your running back for a loss. I mean, y- y- it's pretty yeah. obvious who it's on. It's yeah, pretty obvious. It, it's, uh, it, it's not too difficult. It's like one of those ones, you know, you get a lot, into, uh, a lot of stuff, you know, with uh, the PFF grades and blah, 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 with any, anybody trying to do analysis, right, and trying to... To, to talk about evaluating players, it's like, oh, well, you don't know the assignment, right? And you, you can't evaluate, how can you evaluate them if you don't know the assignments, you're not in the room? And it's like, well, sometimes you don't need to be in the room. Sometimes you, you kind of just can, can see what's going on. You watch enough football, you see the one guy that steps the, the opposite direction as everybody else and smashes into his buddy. Like, that's a problem. Like, that's a, a missed assignment. That's a bust at some level. So, um, yeah, I think we we saw, and that's been... I feel like maybe a little bit more with pass protection, you know, where you kind of get those random busts there uh, that, that lead to some unblocked guys. But um, in the run game, too, I mean, that's something that, you know, we're now into, you know, the sixth week of the season, right? About to, to play the sixth game here. Like, these aren't really things that, that you should still be ironing out where you're having, like, these communication problems and these busted assignments that are leaving guys unblocked. Like, that's probably, as, as well as the offensive line has played, I think, to relative to expectations, right? And, and I think we thought that they weren't going to be very good still, and uh, they, they've certainly been better than I anticipated. They still have those problems, I think, far too often, and those kind of mistakes and uh, busted assignments that lead to, to some bad, bad plays. Now, speaking of mistakes, I think one thing that's been surprising has been the penalties over the course of the over the course of really the, the first quarter and now the, the Indianapolis Colts game as well. That what's interesting to me, I think, is that these are the coaching points that eventually kind of get ironed out over time. The the last correlate that we had to this kind of sweeping positive coach change was Jim Harbaugh in twenty eleven. And that was not a, a super penalized team. Um, early on, it was not a team that that got a lot of penalties. If anything, they stretched the limits of what you know they they tried to draw other teams in terms of penalties and offsides and those quick motions. Um, <laughs> those the thinking of those now is just kind of hilarious. But David, do you think that this is something that will eventually get ironed out from a Kyle Shanahan team, or do you think that this kind of now that we're in you know week six that this consistent holding, the consistent you know illegal formation kind of penalty is something that's concerning at this point? I think when it's stuff like illegal formation, right? Th- those are just like mental errors, right? That's just not getting lined up in the right spot. Like those are problems. And it's like that is is kind of like this lack of focus. I'm, I've like never been somebody that's put a lot of stock into penalties in general. And, and I, I know a lot of people like to draw conclusions in terms of, oh, they're, you know, th- this is a coaching problem. They're poorly disciplined. You know, this is on the coach if they're they're being penalized that much. Like it's not always i think like a direct correlation there like i don't really see that uh as being the problem here i don't think it's like an issue with shanahan that's just like oh he's a first-time head coach and he can't get through to them and they're undisciplined he's too focused on other things right he needs to step away from being an offensive coordinator or something like that so that they can focus on not being penalized like i think it's just a a product of you know not having a lot of very good football players you know like if you're an offensive lineman and you can't execute your blocks, you're getting beat, like you're going to naturally hold a little bit more, right? Because you're trying to recover from a, 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 disambi- a disadvantageous 
that's not how you say that. Disadvantageous. That, right? yeah, there we go. go. Uh, position, and, and you're you're trying to kind of recover, right, and, and get to where you need to be, and and you, le- you end up with more holding calls and stuff like that. So I think it's more of a product of the the talent level there, especially offensively. Defensive penalties, I think, is always one of those things where you kind of want to have players that are that are right on that line, right? Like defensive penalties have never been something that uh, correlates to bad defense. Like this is something that Football Outsiders has looked at pretty in depth, like in the past. And it's like teams that are heavily penalized on defense. It doesn't mean that they have bad. Like a lot of times, those are some of your better defenses because they have those players. You know, you think of like the Seahawks, right? In in coverage and being physical with the receivers on the outside, like they they flirt with that line enough. And good defenses tend to to kind of do that more. So whereas offense, it's usually uh, you know a bad player, a player being out of position or something like that. That's so negative. Amon Brooks, good for defense, flirting. Good for defense. Maybe not offsides penalties. Those are the takeaways. Uh, but even, I mean, I, you could even make an argument there, right? Like you have an edge player that's that's trying to get that jump on the ball, right? That's trying to time that snap. And yeah, you don't want it to be maybe as consistent of an issue as, as it was with Brooks. But if it's the difference, like if you have Von Miller, right, that's out there and he's trying to time that snap and nine times out of 10 it's happening and then he happens to get some penalties here and there, like you're going to live with that, right? Because he's... He's flirting with that edge right there of of uh, being too soon and being able to get the advantage on the tackle. Flirting with the edge as an edge defender. I see what you did there. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that we think against this Indianapolis Colts uh, team was that the quick game on first down is basically where we need to live. The 49ers had a lot of success when they went to their quick game on first down. They had four out of seven passing plays in the first quarter that were three-step drops. This is a coaching staff that is clearly trying to protect Brian Hoyer and get the ball out of his hand quickly. The, the big, uh, I guess, graphic that was going around earlier in the week was one from Pro Football Focus that says that Brian Hoyer has, like, the fastest time to throw in the league this year at, like, 2.51 seconds. And that's a number I feel that needs a bit of context because you can't just say throwing fast is good or throwing fast is bad or holding on to the ball is bad or holding on to the ball is good. You have to look at the context in which that's happening. By and large, yes, you see generally good quarterbacks like Tom Brady or so hold the ball not very long because they make quick decisions. They know they're going to go with the ball. But you oftentimes see quarterbacks hold on to the ball a little bit longer and because of that are able to make more successful throws, deeper throws downfield. Um, and, and I think Alex Smith this year is a great example of that. He's holding the ball just a beat longer a couple of times and he's able to get more chunk yards than he has probably in his career. <laughs> um, and so that I think that the, when you look at Brian Hoyer's number, that's more a function of him having him knowing where he's going to go with the ball because the structure of the offense gives him some pretty clear reads. I mean, when we're looking at the all 22 and we're like, yep, that guy, that guy's open right now. And it's as soon as Brian Hoyer turns around, he knows it too. And while sometimes he doesn't make the throw because he just likes to stare at receivers that are open because you know, whatever um, they're, they're there. So even, even though he has a very, very quick time to throw, he can be very successful in that game. Um, and so it's one of those things where it's not necessarily inherently good or inherently bad. It's just something to note. And I think it's something that Kyle Shanahan is building into the offense because of deficiencies on the offensive line um, and because he just can scheme people open really well. Yeah, I think absolutely with where they're at talent wise, right? It makes a lot of sense to get the ball out quickly because you have, um, you know, somebody in Hoyer that I think you probably don't want hanging on to the ball, you know, all that long. He's not somebody obviously that's going to be making plays and and to your point about that not being like an inherently good or bad thing Aaron Rodgers is consistently among uh the, the quarterbacks who hold on to the ball longest and and or have one of the highest numbers there in that time to throw stat um you know Cam Newton Dak Prescott like uh these are guys that are very good players very good quarterbacks but because they have those snaps right where they're looking to break the pocket and extend the play like they're naturally going to have a number that's a little bit higher so you can still have good quarterbacks that hang on to the ball a little bit long and not have that be a detriment. I think in Hoyer's case, he's not that guy. He's not somebody that's going to create outside the structure of the offense. And uh, he is much better when he can kind of come out, you know, off play at whether it's off play action and kind of be able to hit somebody that's, that's kind of breaking open across the middle right away, or, uh, you know, somebody just in the quick game and in your normal kind of three, five step drop uh, type of stuff and, and being able to get the ball out of his hand to the, to the first guy. Like these are things where these are areas where he's much better um, and, and he's not having to, uh, you know, necessarily get to two and three in his progression because, yeah, there are times where uh, which is really strange. And, and I want to make it clear, too, that it's not like we're talking about guys 
this isn't Madden, right? You can't like look at the all 22 and be like, this guy's wide open. Why didn't he throw it here? Like you could make that on nearly every play. You have to look at uh, not only the, the, the routes and kind of how they work together, but where the quarterback's eyes are going, right? Where he's looking at, that's going to give you an indication of what his progression was on that play. Um, if it's somebody that's on the backside of the play, that's like read four or five, like he's never getting there, right? He's not going to make that throw. He's never looking at him. You can't penalize him for not getting to that player, but too often he's missing guys that are, uh, you know, one or two in that progression within his one or two reads, uh, or there's only his vision. There are only two people on the route. There are only only two reads on the Yankee concept, which is one of Shanahan's favorite concepts. He runs it at least two or three times a game. There's only two reads. It's the deep post or the or the crosser. And that's it. Uh, And and it's yeah, there there are weird situations like that because it's not uh, really a I don't think he's a guy like like Blaine Gabbert, right? Or even Colin Kaepernick at times over the last couple of seasons where he just didn't want to pull the trigger on some of those deep throws, right? It like we see Hoyer do it. He does it a couple times a game, and we've talked about that in the, the past uh, about how that's one of the, the the better qualities that he has is that he will make some of those throws and put it generally in an area where the receiver has a chance, right? He's not throwing it completely off target, which I mean that happens too. But um, you know, he, he has some decent qualities there, but there are times where he just like, he sees a guy wide open and it's very clearly in his vision. You can see him looking at it and then he just doesn't throw it and then he'll throw it underneath. And it's like, why, why aren't you pulling the trigger there? Like those are the the ones again that you want him to see. You're not expecting Hoyer to make, you know, the dime throw that he made to like Marquise Goodwin down the field, right? That's not something that you're expecting from Brian Hoyer consistently. Um, what you're hoping that he does is, is take advantage of what Kyle Shanahan gives him when he gives him somebody that's open within his progression, that's in his vision that he should see and hit. He needs to be able to hit those open receivers. Uh, and I think right now we're at a point where too often he's missing that guy uh, and, and they're having to settle for something either underneath or take a sack or have some sort of negative outcome on a play uh, that, that had some opportunity there. And so against the Colts, it was definitely that quick game that was successful. Although eventually once they had to open things up, uh, that, that got to be successful because it seems like for whatever reason, Brian Hoyer, when his back is against the wall and he's like, if I'm going to throw it, that seems to work out. Apparently. Yeah. There seem to be times, I guess, where it's just, I, I almost, uh, think that it's like a predetermined thing. It's like, Hey, we're taking yeah. a shot here. Yeah. And it's just like, no I matter agree. what we're, we're going to, we're going to throw it deep to Goodwin and see what happens. And, yeah. and it's worked out a couple of times. Yeah. Cause when he throws it deep, he doesn't throw it deep to Goodwin or to Aldrick Robinson when they're open. But he does throw it deep to Marquise Goodwin when he's covered. And a couple of times he's just hit. And you, and if you notice on those plays too, generally, the ones where he's really going downfield, it is a top of the drop ball is coming out, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I'm not really even thinking about it. Like I'm I'm hitting the bat last step of my drop there and the yep. ball's coming out and I'm going deep. And, yep. and we're going to take a chance. So last point on things that we think is going to be about the defense, and, and this is, I think, you know, this was worrisome because this is going to be the the unit that we hang our hat on supposedly this year. The offense is going to be up and down. The offensive line has issues, of course, a run game. It takes a while to get to that outside running zone and, and zone run successfully. But the defense has been the thing that we've hung our hats on so far this year. And this was what seemed to fail us against the Indianapolis Colts. Marlon Mack, of course, had a couple of really, really long runs. And ultimately, when you look at what happened in in the run defense, it was mostly just like it takes 11 people on the offensive side of the ball in order to make a run successful. It also takes 11 people to make run defense successful. And in a few runs against Marlon Mack and against the the Indianapolis Colts, the Niners were just just uncharacteristically kind of out of position. And I actually I'll take that back. I wouldn't even say they were uncharacteristically out of position. They were just out of position. Sometimes they have those defensive lapses. One play I tweeted out earlier had Jaquaski Tart not fill the C gap and in trying to overrun the play, bumps into DeForest Buckner, bumps him out of the B gap and creates a huge lane that Solomon Thomas then exacerbates by like running at the quarterback for no apparent reason, even though it's a run play. And so now you have this giant cavern of a lane that Marlon Mack just runs through and eventually scores a touchdown on. Um, another play you've got uh, Dante Johnson pretending to play run defense. I mean, it like yeah, I it, mean that it, was the one that was that was tough for me because it was like that's is a corner like you need to there. There's some and this defense doesn't ask it a lot, right? You're not going to have cornerbacks playing force, right? Where and by force I mean 
they're the guy that's responsible for on their side of the field that the run bounces outside. They need to be the one that's outside of it, that forces it back in to where his other defenders are, to where his help is, right? Um, and, and they don't put cornerbacks in that situation very often, but there there was a play, yeah, it was one of the big ones. Was It was the near touchdown, right? The one where he was... Down at the uh, one. Down at the one, yeah. That they, I think they called it a touchdown first and reversed it or something like that. But uh, it, it was like that was a play where he just cut it back against it. The play wasn't intended to go there. Dante Johnson's the backside guy. He's the one that's going to come in and kind of play contain. Guys are, are picking up six, seven yards of pop every time they're running on this defense. It's they're getting two and three most of the time. And then all of a sudden you have these ones that are breaking for 15 plus, you know, these, these three plays a game. Uh, and that's just, again, stuff that they just like on offense where you can't quite get it and can't get those runs. They just need to clean that stuff up. Uh, and, and it's going to go a long way to, to helping them get off the field. Now in the passing game, of course, T.Y. Hilton had a huge game. He had a bajillion receptions for even more bajillion yards. Uh, I think he ended <laughs> up with 177 passing or receiving yards. And, and when you look at how he got most of those, he got most of those in like two or three plays. One was like a 63-yard play, and they had two, two more over 20. And, and those all come down to just cornerback play. And cornerback play and Jacoby Brissett making plays outside of structure. Yeah. Because two of the big long ones, including the 63-yard play, was a play that came outside of the structure. You had Jimmy Ward, who was who just, I, I wish, if you don't have the All-22, take a look at the clips that I tweet out, because there's a couple of Jimmy Ward where he just looks so fluid. His hips just kind of switch to one side, switch to the other, and then he breaks on the ball. And on that 63-yard pass to T.Y. To Hilton, he, uh, he sees Brissett pump fake, and it's not even a designed pump fake. It's not like, a, oh, I'm going to go ahead and try to draw the safety and then you know throw it deep. Jacoby Brissett really wants to throw this ball. And, and, and Jimmy Ward sees it, and he breaks one way, and then Jacoby thinks better of it, rolls out a little bit, and heaves this bomb on the move to T.Y. Hilton. And it's just a good throw. I mean, it's that a throw good route. dope. Like, yeah. It's a good throw. It's a good route. It's a great catch. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, you, you can't, that's not on Jimmy Ward. If anything, it's on the corner and coverage because it was near the sideline and that's the corner's responsibility. But, you know, that's, that's, that sucks. I mean, often, offensive players get paid too. Yeah. I mean, the, I think that's a perfect example of, I mean, yeah, sure. In an ideal world, like, you know, Jimmy Ward's got to be the last line of defense, right? Like that. I think is is probably ultimately his responsibility as far as like I got to be deeper than deepest right it's it's the center fielder that you always hear about with that single high safety and I just think when you look at kind of the 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 flow of that play and like 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 you mentioned it's like there's the post that's there you see the quarterback looking at it like he wants to pull the trigger I'm trying to break and make a play on that and that's fine like he's he's doing what he should be doing on that situation and just that puts him once now stupid fucking throw. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, those are going to happen. Sometimes you're going to have guys on offense that make plays and that's not necessarily, uh, I, I think to me is something that I'm concerned about defensively. So overall, this was, I think a, an Indianapolis Colts team that was not very good. They were going up against another team that was not good in terms of having lapses in key situations. But I think at the end of the day, the difference was probably Jacoby Brissett coming into his own in this offense um, and doing some things that you just don't see other quarterbacks do uh, really well. And he did it just enough to get uh, you know a field goal or a score out of it. And, and that was the difference, literally a field goal. Um, and you can, you know, chalk it, you can chop it up to about two or three plays, you know, Marlon Mack being one of them, a deep bomb to TY on another. And, and those two plays kind of swung the game. And, and those things hopefully eventually will get short up. But until then, it, they contributed to the elegant tank. And, and that's, you know, so great. and I'm okay with that. I, I, yeah. I am 100% okay with it. So <laughs> ultimately, you know, the elegant tank, another close loss. It's going to help our Pythagorean win expectation for next year. <laughs> Pythagorean win Wednesday. Run blocking and, you know, run defense takes a whole 11 players, all of them, working in unison and in concert. Uh, Jabal Sheard was a, was a force in this game, uh, and we definitely need to live in the quick game. Uh, so now we get to the Spotlight Player of the Week. I think something that we've missed the last two weeks. Uh, yeah, we've, got, we've gotten a little caught up in some other things. I think yeah. and kind of forgot about it, but uh, uh, I've been Apparently, I've been making videos, uh, and that's all I've been doing the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, put <laughs> hey, I mean, they've been some, in, in your defense, they've been some great videos. I, I, okay. put, I put together the Brian Horror experience today. Uh, it's like a band, like an experimental band. You know, it's like the experience. Uh, so check that out. I put it on both Facebook and the Twitter feed, <laughs> but check those out. So we're getting back to our Spotlight Player, and this week, none other than the Better Rivals preseason favorite, be. tight end one. 
George Kittle. He had seven receptions for 83 yards, one touchdown, uh, another almost touchdown. That should have been a touchdown if Hoyer can throw a better ball. Um, But he was the go-to receiver on the game-tying drive. He lined up all over the formation. He was in the slot. He was aligned tight in the slot. He was in line. He ran an over route, a stick route, a corner route, a crosser. He was being utilized like a movable chess piece. And that is music to our collective ears uh, because he produced. He produced. And this is exactly who we thought he was going to be in the receiving game, uh, even though he was a fifth round pick. And that, that was the thing, man, the, the, like how the different ways that they used him was the, the thing that was really exciting to me, because it was like, again, this was a guy that we thought that that was very athletic, that you can move. He wasn't really used that way at Iowa a ton just because that was a super run heavy offense. They didn't throw the ball a ton. Um, and, and so you just didn't get to see it at, at a very high volume when he was in college. But I mean, you could see the the athletic ability, right? You could see. Uh, his ability to get out there, move into the slot and be able to to make some plays. And that's what we saw in that final drive, especially was the big thing. I mean, he was, uh, you know, in line going out on a deep corner route on a, on, on a sale concept and one get picking up a big play. You know, he was aligned in kind of a, a, a slot position on a few different ones. You had the play action on fourth and one where it's like you're trying to slip him behind the defense, essentially. Hoyer's like a, a don't fuck this up throw and kind of underthrows it a bit. And he goes up and makes a play on a, on a contested catch. Um, and so it was just, and then you have of course the touchdown to cap that drive off. That is a, a designed play. Like this is a, we need to get George Kittle the ball on this slant. We're going to have Trent Taylor do what he does and uh, have a little, a uh, little rub there and uh, ho- not get caught it was, this time. It wasn't a rub route. He ran his route. He just ran he just it in ran such it a way that a defender. The, uh, he didn't run into a defender. <laughs> uh, the the defender had to move around Trent Taylor yeah. and the and Trent Taylor's defender in order to get to Kittle. He was just making things inconvenient for. Uh, I think it was it was actually it was Malik Hooker too, which was was yeah. was something that was uh you know fun. Just I, he was somebody that I was interested to watch you know because that would there was a. A, a very real like pre-draft world where we're like wondering what Malik yeah. Hooker is going to look like on, on the 49ers. So uh, it was interesting to watch him play, but yeah, I mean, you, you see him get matched up there and, and be able to be somebody that's like, look, yeah, we need to scheme this uh, for George Kittle here right now in a critical situation to get him a score. Uh, and he did it. I think uh, to be, you know, to be balanced, which try to look at kind of both sides of things. He has struggled in the run game, which has been a bit of a surprise. Like he had, that was his um, thing at Iowa, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, if it wasn't the highest, it was like one of the highest run grades, um, during his final season at Iowa there. Like he was a very, very good run blocker. Uh, and I don't think that that necessarily goes away. Like a lot of times with tight ends, um, you know, it can be like an effort thing. And I don't think that's something that you're worried about. He's just had, I think some, some bad snaps and he's kind of, he got tossed around once by uh, outside linebacker uh, Simon. I forget. I forget his full name. Um, but yeah, uh, he like, like there was one play where he just got tossed in the back of Trent Brown's legs, and it just kind of caused a play to get blown up. Um, so there was, he's another, had, there was another play where he's on the split zone. He tries to come across formation, and this is the one where uh, where Trent Brown goes the wrong way. Uh, yeah, but yeah. even if Trent Brown doesn't go the wrong way. Because George Kittle misses his backside block, that guy's coming down this coming down the yeah. line anyway. So, yeah. yeah, I mean he he hasn't been he hasn't been great in the run game. But if you think to yourself, it, it, can he fix something? If there's something he can fix, it's something in the run game because he's shown yeah. that he can perform as a run blocker at a very very high level. And so that's not the thing I'm worried about. You were worried as to whether or not he would be a receiver because yeah. that's not what he showed on tape in college. Um, and what do you know? He he can be a receiver. And so I think that this is, I think nothing but good things for, for George Kittle. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. Getting to see like him and Trent Taylor starting, you know, Trent Matt Taylor's Brita, targets man. are going up, you know, yeah, Matt Breida, um, you know, getting uh, more and more touches like as the season goes on, like it's great. It's, 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 uh, it's cool to see those guys yeah. like that you think have some potential uh, that weren't necessarily top picks, right. That, that were kind of these unheralded players. Um, it's nice to see them do well. We'd be four for four if not for Akella Witherspoon. Hey, there's still time. There is still there, time. I mean, the Eric Armstead need of the dome doesn't certain uh, doesn't help things no, out a whole lot. No, it sure lot. doesn't. Uh, it I sure mean, doesn't. We got six snaps. It was like it was. I was like, finally, we had the the podcast last time, and it was like, uh, it was like, man, are we gonna see Witherspoon? And then it's like all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, we're gonna see Witherspoon, and then nope, knee to the freaking skull. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, it sucks. it sucks. All right, well, that's gonna be it for the game recap. 
Uh, so now let's get to the rundown, the stories of the week as we move to the game against the Washington controversies. First up is the DVOA update. We are 27th overall. We moved up one whole spot. We're 29th on offense, 25th on defense, and third on special teams. Uh, again, this is this kind of goes back to the Pythagorean uh, kind of point differential stuff that we were talking about earlier in the show. But the we're ranked ahead of Miami, Arizona, and of course Indianapolis in DVOA. But we're still firmly in the league basement. So we're in that bottom eight teams that are just terrible. Apparently, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, a bunch of really good teams, and then a bunch of like mediocre teams, and then eight really terrible teams. <laughs> like like far and away terrible teams based on DVOA. And we are one of those eight teams. Um, so, yep. so yeah, so we're ranked ahead of teams that have better records than us. But again, lost four straight games by 11 total points. That's what's going to happen. Right now, it's funny because the Football Outsiders projections are projecting that we have only a .8 win on the season, meaning just under a win. They're projecting a win, basically. We're going to maybe get one in there. We're going to maybe get one in. Now, that's because our our last five games were the fourth easiest overall schedule. And this is likely because we faced a Carolina team that's, you know, that's good, but not great. We faced Indianapolis. We faced Arizona. Not good teams. And now we're going up against the 12th most difficult schedule based on DVOA moving forward. This is likely because we have games against Washington, currently ranked second in DVOA, Dallas, Philadelphia, Seattle, and the LA Rams. The Rams, of course, are now a top 10 team in DVOA. So the easy part of the schedule is over. The tough part of the schedule is coming up. And especially now, because, I mean, remember preseason, it was like, we're looking at December. And, and it was like, okay, this is going to be a little ugly. Uh, you know, the first half of the season, especially before the bye week. And then all of a sudden in that last month, right, you get December here. And it's like, oh, we got the we got most of the AFC South. And they haven't been very good, right? Jacksonville hasn't been very good. Uh, you got Tennessee in there. And it's like, oh, okay, maybe they're going to take a step forward. But they still haven't been that good, right? Like, that could be maybe a winnable game at home. Uh, and it's just like Jacksonville now is like that defense. We're going to maybe not move the ball at all. Like it, when it comes time to play Jacksonville, like I'm terrified. I uh, predict that, that game's gonna we play. will have over 130 yards rushing in that game. Uh, it's yeah. just we're just not going to get anything in the air. I mean, but it's gone. It's all going to be on the ground. We'll get to that game when we get to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, that's many months away. But yeah, uh, yeah it's it's uh, it's going to be a tough stretch here i mean we're gonna it's it's weird that like the most winnable game that we probably have coming up um before the bye is the giants we're at home to the giants and like that's probably the one that you're like all right if if in this next stretch if i'm gonna pick a win like that's probably the one week that i'm gonna i mean maybe do it as it turns out they don't have any wide receivers yeah and we and we don't have any corners it's like a match made in heaven they're our puzzle piece that's they're they're our lobster let's uh, it's going to be perfect. I can't wait uh, until middle of November when that, that can happen. And it can, oh, my God. It's just going to be such a miserable game to watch, too. Like, the games where, where neither team can throw the ball are just, just horrendous. Like, it's just, oh, God. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I guess moving on to other news, uh, you know, sign Leon Hall, um, which is, is kind of a, a fairly big name to sign, I think, at this point of the season. Um, you know, obviously a little bit older, but had injuries at cornerback. Obviously, the Witherspoon knee to the, the dome. He's in the concussion protocol. Uh, Jackson going on IR. You have Robinson playing through some cramps. Um, and so, you, and then you have just generally the people that have been out there not playing very well. And so there's a, a Dante kind of, Johnson playing through, not playing well. <laughs> yeah. Um, Quan Williams playing through, not playing very well. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's just like that cornerback spot's been a problem. Um, it's, it's, Difficult to know, I think, what to expect from a cornerback that's, you know, what, 32, 33 years old, I think. Um, Came into the league in 2007. That's which uh, sounds like not long time ago, but it is 10 years ago, uh, which is very strange to me. We had this conversation the other day and it's just like, that's very weird. Um, but yeah, Hall, uh, I mean, it, at a point, he was one of the best, if not the best slot cornerback in the league. Right. He, he was very good for a long time in Cincinnati. Um, and even over the last couple seasons, like he's he's graded solid, right? Like even last year um, when he was with the Giants and, uh, you know, not necessarily ideal circumstances. 
um, you know, put up a solid like 75 uh, overall grade there. So he's been decent recently. I think maybe the one thing too that that I noticed that uh, might be a little bit intriguing for the 49ers and, and having him come on is uh, that he did play like around, it was like a little over 150 snaps at free safety with, with the Giants. So it was still slot heavy. He's a guy that I think if they put out there at cornerback is, is going to be in a slot capacity, um, but maybe has some potential, you know, Lorenzo Jerome, obviously uh, no longer on the team. And, and so maybe he's a guy that like in a pinch, they feel like can move back there uh, and play a little bit of free safety if they, if they have some injuries to that position. So having that kind of versatility, you know, I, I'm sure is, is something that's uh, important for the team. So yeah, it's, I, I don't know that he's going to come in and make a huge difference, but he is a, uh, a body that has not been terrible, which is, uh, you know, more than uh, a lot of the cornerbacks on this roster can say. I think underheld part of Leon Hall's addition is going to be the fact that he can teach some of these younger corners how to actually play cornerback. Um, it's yeah. one of those veteran leader kind of things, which I think is, sure. uh, is might be just underrated. Interestingly enough, popular songs in 2007, for those of you who can remember that far back, uh, Rihanna and Jay-Z, Umbrella. Uh, hey There, Delilah by the Plain White Tees. Getting white college boys laid since 2007. Uh, Before He Cheats by Carrie Underwood. Uh, And I Want to Love You by Akon and Snoop Dogg. That's definitely one of those songs that's like, I'm going to learn how to play the uh, acoustic guitar. And that's like the one song that I go to all these these places. I'm going to look up the tab for this song, man. Yeah, dude, it it, it went from from John Mayer's Crash. It went from Dave Matthews Band Crash to John Mayer's Your Body is a Wonderland. Oh, that's to, a good one. Uh, to yeah, hey like, there, I feel like uh, like Jack Johnson was in there too. If you yeah. could play like a I Jack guess... like banana pancakes or some bullshit, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was like, it was Dave Matthews Band, Jack Johnson, John Mayer, uh, playing white tees. Like hey there, the Delilah. dude playing the one song over. Yep. He's like, I, I got an acoustic guitar. This is the one song that I know. I'm just gonna play it over and over. That before Netflix and chill, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there was. Would you like to come listen to me play my guitar? Yeah, that's. That was at Santa Cruz. That was at UC Santa Cruz where you don't get, you know, oh report God. cards. You got evaluations and shit. Um, so uh, last bit of news is going to be the actually we've already talked about the tackles coming back down to earth. Yeah. Trent Brown had a really bad day. Joe Staley had a bad day. No need to beat that. I think the, the last question here in the rundown is going to be whether or not Bowman and Hyde deserve that reduction in snaps because that was another big story that came out of the week. So David did Bowman and Carlos Hyde deserve their reduction in snaps based on how they played in this game. So I think Hyde's probably the easier one to start with. And, and in that sense, I think uh, the the going to ride the hot hand thing makes sense because Hyde hasn't been so much better, you know, that, that he kind of deserves to get the, the dominant share of the carries kind of regardless, right? Like he's had some problems. There have been a lot of plays, which we've talked about in previous episodes about how he's kind of misread some things and he's, uh, you know, there, there's been some good plays in there too, but a lot of his big runs have been more product of the offensive line uh, as opposed to anything that he's doing, especially. So I think it, from a running back standpoint, I, I don't have any issue with that going with, you know, the guy that seems to be kind of having the better day. Um, Bowman was a little bit more interesting because I think in the right circumstances, that could make sense, right? In the right circumstances being uh, Ruben obvious. Foster is healthy and, and obvious passing downs. Yeah. Right. So it's like, okay, we're going to go. We only want one inside linebacker on the field. Ruben Foster is going to be that guy. I think that's something that makes sense because he just, uh, you know, the athleticism isn't there. Like you, you, you see it. There was a play where uh, Bowman and Frank Gore were in the open field one-on-one. It was just like, Oh my God, these guys are going to like break a hip trying to make this play happen. Like, uh, it, it was just kind when of you have, awful. When you have two similarly fragile hips hitting each other, does that like do, do they just hit each other at the appropriate force, <laughs> or or does one hit harder than the other? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It was concerning. Um, but yeah. So I think uh, him losing snaps though to Brock, Brock Coil uh, is a little a little strange. So even though you know I think this is uh, definitely not been the old Bowman that we are used to. He's still better than Brock Coyle. Well, I I could uh, see next year. I could see next year a world where uh, Ruben Foster plays Mike and Malcolm Smith plays Will. And I don't want to mess with that world. I want to mess with a world where Ruben Foster is there 
and a linebacker that's neither one of those other guys. That you sure. Is also Either there. way, uh, I just don't know that that Brock Coyle is is Man, the, the person get, you want to do that right now. Malcolm Smith went on IR. We had to, we were sad for like a minute, and then we could move past it. We didn't have to think about like how terrible the twenty five million dollars we gave him on the field, and yeah, what yeah. that contract looks like. Whatever. Him and Juice, man, they were terrible contracts when they signed him. Uh, you know, Smith didn't get didn't get a chance. I don't want to bust him much for that, but oh, man. we'll have lots of time it's, it's to talk about uh, Juice Check because uh, yeah, offensive his, weapon. His game was interesting. His game was very interesting. But let's get to the game preview against the Washington Redskins, or if you prefer, the Washington Controversies, uh, because uh, some people don't like to say their name out loud. And hey, it happens. Uh, but the the first question I think, and the first thing that we're going to be watching is that this is going to be this is going to be a really really strong test for the 49ers because the Washington Redskins are second overall in DVOA. They are a strong team. And the question, the first thing that we'll be watching really is going to be whether or not this is going to be a pass-heavy shootout. The 49ers are likely going to want to pass and pass a lot in this game. Bashad Breland is not playing very well. He's one of their cornerbacks. He doesn't get targeted a whole lot, but when he does, he gives up both receptions and targets. He's going to see a lot of Pierre Garçon uh, since about half of Garçon's snaps are on the right side, and that's the side that Breland is going to be patrolling. But then you've got Josh Norman, who's out two to four weeks with a rib fracture, and that means that Quinton Dunbar is playing uh, a lot of snaps in relief, and he had played 10 snaps up until he came in to relieve uh, one Mr. Norman from injury. So he is going to be someone the team is going to target, and he's likely going to see a lot of Marquise Goodwin. Now, he's going to get some help over the top from safeties that haven't been playing well either. So overall, that unit, while not as bad as, say, the 49ers, is going to be a unit that is worth exploiting, especially when you've got a 49er team that seems to want to pass a whole hell of a lot. The Niners rank fifth in situation-neutral pass rate, which means that when it's not like you know an obvious passing situation or something like that, they're passing 63% of the time. So Kyle Shanahan is leaning on the pass when things are close, and that means that, you know, when you're going up against a secondary that you can pass maybe against, you're probably going to see a lot of passes. So the Niners are going to pass a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, I think the the Norman factor there is huge, right? Because I think there's there's two things that are going to play in. One, they kind of, you know, seem to want to pass in general. Um, and, and you know, being down uh, is, is that I think they will almost surely be in this game is going to lead to more passing attempts. And, and again, their run defense has been very good. So I think with, uh, without Norman on the field, that's definitely the area of that defense that you want to, uh, you know, try to take advantage of is, is, is exploiting that secondary. So I think that makes a lot of sense on multiple levels for the 49ers. And then you look at the other side, uh, I, I think that's the area, um, that obviously Washington is going to want to attack on the 49ers defense because, uh, their run game hasn't been all that good. The 49ers run defense has been the best aspect of their defense. And obviously the cornerbacks have had a ton of problems. So, you know, if, if you're Washington coming into this, like you have to be looking to, to get Kirk Cousins. I think um, the big thing, the big key there that will be, you know, because I think it, it, looking at the coverage and, and kind of how they match up against the receivers, that doesn't go so well. Like, I, I, I think if if you leave those cornerbacks out there and, and they're having to spend a lot of time in coverage, um, that's going to go very poorly for the Fortnite. So I think the question more becomes, um, are they able to continue getting pressure, the pressure that they've gotten on, you know, previous quarterbacks in the last four weeks? Um, are they able to continue that against Washington? Because Kirk Cousins has been a markedly different quarterback when he has time in the pocket versus when he's pressured. So we, we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago when looking at the Niners pressure rate um, in terms of the average drop that you're getting from quarterbacks, right? What you're turning quarterbacks into. And you're basically going from a guy that's, you know, best in the league to one of the worst. And it's usually around a 30 point drop in passer rating on average. Kirk Cousins right now is about a 60 point drop. It's like a little over 57. Um, he is, has the highest passer rating in the league when he's not pressured. And then he drops down to below average when he is pressured. So, um, if they can get that pressure on Kirk Cousins and, and kind of force him into either you know quicker decisions than he wants to or force him into some bad decisions, that's, I think, the only hope that they really have defensively in the passing game because it, you know this is a better offensive line than they've played in recent weeks. If they can't generate that same level of pressure up front and Kirk Cousins has all day to sit in the pocket and throw, like it is going to be, uh, I think, a very ugly game for this defense uh, from a pass defense standpoint. So incidentally, Kirk Cousins' passer rating without pressure is 123.2. It's 
it's it's good. What it's, it's pretty good. What what other quarterback do you think has that quarterback rating overall so far this season? Closest quarterback to that rating right now. Oh, the closest one? Currently ranked number one in the NFL. Alex Smith. That's, that's right. Number one, yeah. Literally Kirk Cousins without pressure. It, it, the best version of Kirk Cousins is currently Alex Smith overall, which yeah. is just bonkers I mean, Al- to think Alex about. Alex Smith, uh, I just had to do a lot of stuff on Alex Smith. I go on, go on for day, weird Alex Smith stats. But yeah, he's been uh, way more efficient. Yeah, I think is, he's been is, ridiculous. Is kind of the way he's been, to, he's to been go awesome. He's been I'm good. having... My, my love affair with Alex Smith is becoming rekindled, is all, is all I'm saying. I love it. You had a love affair when he was with San Francisco? Absolutely. He was my QB1, man. It was the folly of youth. I loved him. Oh, God. He was, he, a ni- was, he was a nice guy, a guy you could cheer for. He was a nice guy, but he was he was so terrible early. Absolutely. You're not wrong. Like, oh, you're you're not wrong. I remember uh, you know, all 13 of his interceptions his first year. I mean, it was it was bad. Uh, that that uh, he 2005 thir- offense was like maybe thir- one of the worst offenses. I think it was 13 interceptions. He threw like 13 interceptions. It was like before I, he threw I'm pretty sure touchdowns. it was one eleven. It was one one yeah. touchdown. He threw he threw eleven interceptions and then he threw his first touchdown like in the second last game or some bullshit. But whatever. Yeah, that's that's, that's great. Uh, at this point ancient history like Rihanna's umbrella. So let's <laughs> even. That. Yeah, it was. It was two years before that. So old. So this, we're thinking this might be a pass-heavy shootout just because of what both teams are going to be doing. And the other question is going to be whether or not we're going to be able to pressure Kirk Cousins because if we can, we can get him to a below league average quarterback. And uh, and yeah, that's going to be interesting because this is going to be the biggest test that we've had on the offensive line. But of course, this is going to be another game where we're going to be facing a former 49er. Last week it was Frank Gore. This week, it's going to be Vernon Davis. So will Vernon Davis give the 49ers VD this year? Uh, because it's going to be... He's been having his best season since 2013, especially as a run blocker. He had a 69-yard reception against Kansas City. Uh, and you've got uh, a team now with the 49ers that hasn't really been bothered too often by tight ends. We're allowing the lowest passer rating uh, based uh, just overall, uh, the lowest DVOA, and the lowest adjusted yards per attempt against tight ends. That might be because there's no need to throw the tight end when you're <laughs> you can when just you're, go outside. All yeah, time. when you yeah. when your corners are not there. Um, so who knows? Maybe it's one of those things. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see which Vernon Davis shows up, especially with Jordan Reed either a not playing well or b playing injured. So um, you know whether or not VD has a breakout game is going to be interesting because if he has a breakout game, then it'll be two milestones. Right? Last last week, Frank Gore uh, went to seventh all time on the rushing list which only needed like seven or eight yards to do, but whatever, yeah. he did it against the Niners. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if VD uh, has anything. But has, th- has yeah, VD. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, yeah, with, with him, uh, the thing... I mean, one, this is, and this is uh, completely unrelated, how has he made it this far uh, in football and no one has still taught him how to properly hold a football? Um, I don't know, man. And you no see, one, like on that big run, like he's still holding. He's holding it, it like uh, the thing, uh, so vertically. Normally, he's yeah, holding it vertically. The, he's holding the ball it. is the wrong direction. Like normally, you have one of the points in your hand, one of the points like in your armpit, and then you squeeze real and hard, and you you hold it there. You have all those points of contact. He just kind of has it hanging out with the points going north south. Like what? What? How? How do you do that? Like how has nobody been like, yo, Vernon, fucking put the ball away um he's that's used a to very hold strange thing he's used to holding jamba juice uh cups and so that's how he holds it that's all like um but yeah other than that um i think he's the, captain torpedo i had forgotten about captain torpedo oh my god <laughs> oh, yeah so uh, like we're not gonna go down the torpedo rabbit hole um <laughs> but I, I so i think they're from the, the niners perspective i mean you man you mentioned you know that they've been very good against tight end so far and they, they have gotten a decent number of targets it's not like league leading or anything but um, I, I think it's it's more if Reuben Foster comes back, right? How does he like that's a, that's a matchup? I think that he's probably going to get a lot of the time. I mean, you'll see definitely some some tart, uh, you know, get some get some assignments there. But um, yeah, if Reuben Foster comes back, I mean, that was an area right that you're hoping, especially with Bowman kind of uh, declining a little bit in that area, that you want him to be able to take over and play some coverage uh, against some of the better tight ends. So that sort of matchup uh, will, will be one to watch for sure. And lastly, the last thing we'll be looking at is going to be the interior of that Redskins defensive line against the interior of the 49ers offensive line. I feel like this is going to be one we're going to wash, rinse, repeat on this podcast a lot. But Matt, I not. Oh, man, here's another one. Another name that's going to trip us up. Matt Ionidis. Ionidis. I'm going to go ahead and say this. Matt. Matt uh, I. 
since there's two ends, I'm going to go ahead and say it's Matt Ioannidis uh, and Jonathan Allen on pass rush downs. They are going to be the interior pass rushers in their nickel defense. And so I'd be curious to see whether or not the 49ers stay with their base and stay with Juszczyk uh, on the field or whether or not they go to three wide. Because if they force the, the Redskins in a nickel, then those two guys on the inside can completely dominate, especially when you're looking at uh, one Mr. Lake and Tomlinson, who is the lowest rated offensive lineman on uh, the offensive line right now. So uh, they, they don't blitz a lot. Washington only blitzes 30% of the time, which is slightly above league average. So this is going to be a game where if if the offensive line can keep Hoyer clean, you know Washington plays a lot of zone coverage on the back end. Hoyer has been a little better against zone coverage. You know I think this is a game where he might see a bit more success than he's seen against primarily man coverage teams if the 49ers can hold up. And I think they might lean more towards their standard personnel in order to do so. Yeah, and teams have played a lot of man coverage against the 49ers you know, so far this season. I believe Hoyer has the most passing attempts against man coverage uh, so far through five weeks. So uh, teams have definitely gone that route. But Washington has been, you know, again, a zone-heavy team. And that's where Hoyer's had a little bit more success um, is being able to kind of find those openings in the zone as opposed to having to um, you know, necessarily put balls, you know, into kind of tight windows or throw guys open, you know, the in, in man coverage, that's not really his strength. So, um, yeah, I think that's an area that could potentially, again, with the Norman injury and, and that secondary is, um, uh, being, you know, kind of the weaker aspect, I think of that team. Um, I think that's your hope there is that they can kind of get this passing game going and be able to take advantage, um, you know, of that zone coverage because, yeah, Allen. Allen's another one of those guys that, like, I just kind of like watching. I'm interested watching like these rookies, you know, for for a variety of reasons, but especially the ones that are, uh, you know, that were taken up there at the top of the draft that were rumored to go to the 49ers. You know, that you kind of thought about a little bit, like, what would this player look like? Um, and he's been playing well so far. And so I think, uh, yeah, to see how he does against the interior offensive line and whether they can kind of handle him will definitely be. Um, like you mentioned, I mean, it's every week you could you could point out some sort of matchup uh, along the interior there that's probably going to be uh, a big determinant in, in how they do offensively. But um, I think the added intrigue there of it being a rookie player that's playing well that, you know, we, we thought about being potentially on the 49ers is uh, just kind of an added little bonus to it. So the overall line, the Vegas insider consensus line is going to be the Washington Redskins by 10. What do you what do you think? By ten? Yeah. Minus ten. Uh, Redskins remind, minus this ten. Is, this is in Washington. Yeah. So Yes, it's in Washington. So it's basically a touchdown plus home field advantage. Man. Do we make I, it five straight games by losing by less than a score? No. I, I think this one could I, I could see this one getting out of hand a little bit because and, and it's mostly because I can see just us not being able to stop them offensively. Like I like yeah. they, their their passing offensive line game is, good, is definitely man. the better. Yeah, their offensive line is better, so I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get the kind of the the kind of pressure that we've been getting the last few weeks. Um, you know, the the Niners are fourth right now in pressure rate um on the season if you remove that kind of week 1 performance that was right now the the outlier like the I think that bumps them up to second or third. So, um you know, they've been very good in that regard. Uh, I think it's just going to be a little bit tougher to come by here and you leave the combination of Kirk Cousins getting time and that, and him being so much better um, when he has that with the 49ers secondary and, and the cornerbacks, especially like struggling to stop anyone this season. Like, I mean, I could see them putting up, you know, 30 plus points in, in this game with with ease. Yeah. And I think what what'll what'll ultimately be the demise of the 49ers in this game is that they will not be able to keep it close. So they'll not be able to rely on their run game or the threat of the run, which will mean that their play action passes and their run game will become wholly ineffective. And if they become one dimensional, then I mean, I don't know if we're going to get, you know, the Los Angeles Rams game, one dimensional Niners or whether we're going to get something else. My bet is on something else. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably the safer. The yeah. Safer bet. Yeah. So I don't think that we cover. I think it's pro- it, I think it probably ends up being a 13 point game. Um, yeah, yeah, somewhere, is somewhere always like you see those, and we said this. Uh, what was the the last one that we were like, and we were kind of surprised. Week two, I think, um, when it was like the double digit. Yeah, it, Seattle, right? Yeah. Um, and it was like, man, it, it, it's like it feels like this game probably is going to get out of hand, but like that's such a big point spread that you're like, ah, I don't know that I want to really take that because that doesn't happen a lot. But 
don't yeah. know, man. I, I just think it's going to be, I, I think this from a matchup standpoint, right? Like with Seattle, you could see, especially in hindsight, right? You could see them dominating that offensive line and exactly. making it difficult for them to move the ball a little bit. Uh, and, and that leads to a little bit of a closer game. When you look at the strengths of this Washington team versus the weaknesses of the, the Niners defense, like that's, uh, you know, just not a not a great matchup for them. So Trent Williams hasn't given a sack since week seven of 2016. Yeah, dude's dude's a beast. Yeah, Dude I mean, he's a monster. we're not going to get this is not going to be another two, three, four, five, six sack performance. Um, I think we'll probably do a decent job of getting pressure, but. Um, yeah, I mean Buckner. You know Buckner's going to Buckner at this point. Yeah. Like dude, Defo, dude is Defoe's uh, going to Defoe. He is the one player that you can consistently rely upon to play at a very high level. Yeah, right now, like we talked about a lot, right? Harbaugh years. It was like you had those guys, right? You had like Justin Smith, Justin and Patrick Smith. Willis, yep. and, and Bowman, and Staley offensively, and it was just like these guys that you just knew that they were going to come out and do what they did. And and that was going to be enough to kind of help you out. And we haven't had anybody like it, it's been all these guys that we just yeah. like, don't know what we're going to get from week to week. And Buckner is, is, I think finally becoming that guy where it's just like the expectation is that he's going to be really good every week, no matter who he plays. And and I think that's uh it's nice. It's, it's nice yeah. to have one of those guys back again. What do you think Anthony Davis is doing right now? Oh man. Is he fucking around on Twitter? No, know. no. no I just you, you were thinking of it. You were, you were naming all these players that you're like, oh yeah. man, like, and, and then I just started thinking about, oh yeah, and then I thought Anthony Davis. I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah. Man, hopefully he's hopefully he's doing good. You know, oh, he's yeah. not getting his head bashed in and stuff. No. And, and so uh, that's that's always good. Yeah, that's good always a positive. Him. Good for him. Maybe I'll add him and see what's up. Uh, but thanks again for tuning in for this week of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. Remember to. Leave us a review on iTunes if you so desire and or listen to this episode. Uh, only positive ones because they help people uh, identify or find the show um, and definitely help us get a wider audience amongst all the Niner fans that should be listening to us. Uh, definitely check out us on Twitter. I've been posting videos. I usually post them on Wednesdays. Uh, and you can see the Brian Hoarder experience for yourself uh, in, in addition to on our Facebook page, which is just going to be facebook.com forward slash better rivals. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they find you? That's going to be at Newman NFL. Make sure to uh, watch his pro football focus work about the 49ers because uh, he gets uh, paid to watch them, which can sometimes be awesome and sometimes not. Yeah, Yeah, so I mean, uh, that's an area that I definitely am going to try to get better on is kind of getting some clips up in the middle of the week at least and and getting some more Niner thoughts out there outside of uh, just the podcast, which I mean, that's going to be where you get the most of them anyway. But um, yeah, I think that and I will always have so... Uh, we preview every single game, right, uh, at, at ProFootballFocus.com, so you can check those out. I do the Niners preview, um, or at least uh, the, the the offensive half of it, so you'll see those go up usually on Saturdays, um, so you can check that out before the game. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to leave us some reviews on iTunes, on Google Play, or wherever you listen to us. Uh, remember to cheer on the Longhorns on uh, Saturday, because I will be in Dallas watching the Longhorns probably choke away another win. Uh, and as always, this weekend, hook them and go Niners. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. (laughs) We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.